You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. It's a huge play. Huge play. Smith looking around. Throws to the end zone. And tough to tell that Dotson held on. The signal is a touchdown. And how about Alex Smith? Yep, that was the only touchdown of the day in Tampa, and it would have been plenty on its own. Uh, but Dustin Hopkins added three field goals, and the Redskins got an important 16-3 to win over the Buccaneers. May not have been perfect, but either is this team right now, but they are 6 and three. I'm here. Aaron's here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. The win is really easy to explain on one hand. On the other, there was a lot of complexity to it, believe it or not. Let's get to it. Pay attention. Here's Kevin's, Kevin's Game, game Day. All right, the game take, the good, the bad, several other observations from the win that keeps the Skins in first place by themselves at 6-3 and three and gives them an opportunity next Sunday at home against Houston to get to 7-3 and three for the first time since 1996 if they win Sunday against... The Houston Texans, they'll be 7-3 for the first time since 1996. That's 22 years ago, I think, right? Yes, 22 years ago, I think, Aaron, is the math on that one. Good math, good math. All right, let's get to the good uh, from the game. Uh, Let's start with this. The Buccaneers served this up on a platter. Make no mistake... The number one storyline coming out of this game in Tampa is what the Buccaneers did to themselves. The Buccaneers had 501 yards of offense and scored three points. Has that, that, Aaron, ever happened in NFL history? No. No, it has not. A team going for 500 yards and scoring just three points has never happened happened according to the Elias Sports Bureau. Tampa Bay became the first team in NFL history with 450 plus total yards and three or fewer points. So there. How did it happen? How about this? The Bucks had the ball nine times and drove the ball into Redskins territory on every single drive except for one. That was the interception by Stroman. Nine drives, they moved, the, they moved the ball on all but one of them, eight of the nine, into Redskins territory. And by the way, they started with terrible field position all day long. They had to drive it distance, long distance, each time. The Bucks moved the ball into the red zone on five of their nine drives and moved it inside the Redskins 30 on six of their nine drives. And on those six drives that got into scoring range, the Bucks turned it over three times, missed two field goals, and on one of those six drives where they drove it inside the Redskins 30, they made a field goal for their only points of the game. It's really remarkable what they did to themselves. Now, the Redskins had something to do with it, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But six trips into scoring range, five into the red zone, three points. One made field goal. 
and then three turnovers and two missed field goals. But there's more to the story than just that. One of the field goals was a 30-yarder, a chip shot, and it wasn't even close. Pushed hard to the right. On that drive, before missing the 30-yard field goal, Fitzpatrick ran backwards when he should have had an easy first and goal by running forwards. Instead, it was third and four, and on that next play, his tight end, Brait, was open at the three-yard line and dropped the pass. The other missed field goal was a 48-yarder. That, too, was a red zone miss. Don't let the nature of the length of the field goal fool you because on third and seven at the Redskins 16, the shotgun snap went awry, and it was a 14-yard loss. Next play, missed field goal numero two, and that one wasn't close either. On the drive when the Bucks were down 16-3, to all right, fourth quarter down 16-3, to had a first and goal. Fitzpatrick misses Evans wide open in the end zone. I'm going through all of this self-destruction by Tampa because it's the number one thing on the Redskins' good list. That was the play right before the third and final red zone turnover or turnover in scoring range. One of the turnovers actually wasn't a red zone turnover. The Ryan Anderson knocking the ball out of uh, Rodgers' hands. He was at the 15-yard line, but the play started at the 28, so it wasn't technically a red zone turnover, even though he was right there in the red zone when he turned it over. But the Fitzpatrick miss of Evans was right before the Preston Smith sack and fumble, and Kerrigan recovered it. How about some of the other bumbling and stumbling by the Buccaneers yesterday? At the end of the half, what in the hell were they doing on that final play of the first half, eight seconds to go there at the Redskins 47, no timeouts. They need something to the sideline. And Fitzpatrick dumps it short over the middle, and the clock runs out. Also on the thank you Tampa Bay list, how about Fitzpatrick on the move on their second drive of the game? Scrambling on third and 19. He has already scrambled himself into field goal range, short of the first down, and then he tries to lateral by throwing a pass that was a forward pass. Good challenge by Gruden. And that took potential points off the board, although their kicker probably would have missed it I was going to say that that, anyway. that wasn't yeah. field goal range with Catanzar there. Yeah, I mean, they would have been at about the 32, would have been about a 49-yard kick. Four turnovers on the day, two missed field goals. Thank you, Tampa, for all of your donations on the day. Please pick up your yellow receipt at the door for proof of donation that you can use on your tax returns. Incredible. Look, Greg Minuski, I think he was playing some Ben Don't Break Football today. I do. I think it was with the rookie corners out there and the young corners out there and Facing Evans and Jackson, they gave up a lot. I think that was part of the strategy. Ben, don't break. But even he couldn't have imagined three points on 501 yards and six trips inside the Redskins' 30-yard line. Remarkable. I don't think you'll ever see that again. Hey, the, to the Redskins' credit, they let the Bucks do it. They didn't press. They didn't freak out. They let the Bucks self-destruct. Yeah, I... I, I'm going to tell you this. I did not hear Minuski after the game, 
But I, I, I watched Gruden, although once again, NBC Sports Washington cutting it off midway through his press conference. Just let the thing run. We'd like to watch the whole press conference. But I think Minuski was playing some bend, don't break right from the get-go. I think that was strategic. However, again, 501 yards, six trips inside the Redskins 30. You don't expect to get out of that with three points. All right, next on the good list. The Redskins did make four red zone defensive plays that impacted this game significantly. Huge plays on defense when the Bucks were in scoring position. As charitable as Tampa Bay was, the Redskins defense made plays. Play number one, all right, there were four of them. Play number one, the interception by Norman. It's not a great throw, all right? We've ta- and we talked about this on Friday, that Fitzpatrick would make these throws, and you had to make him pay when he put it up for grabs. And they did on this interception, but also on that play. Foster took... Mason Foster took that back deep into Norman's area before turning him over to Norman. And so that made it a real difficult fit on the throw. And then, by the way, Norman with a really good interception, a diving interception on that as well. So that's a big spot for the Redskins to get them off the field with a turnover on that opening drive. Play number two of the four big defensive plays in this game for the Redskins that truly impacted the result. On the drive that ended in the lone Tampa Bay field goal made of the day, Matt Ioannidis had a first first down uh, sack in the red zone. And that ultimately helped force the field goal attempt uh, the field goal attempt that they actually made. But that's a big first down sack by Matt Ioannidis. Three-yard loss, now it's second and 13, and they're pressing. Play number three, Ryan Anderson's play on Rodgers. Anderson made one of the plays of the game. All right, first of all, he started that play as a pass rusher, ended that play chasing down Rodgers from behind, knocking the ball out, and into the end zone where the Redskins recovered it. I think it was HaHa Clinton Dix that recovered it. I mean, that's one of those plays that, you know, if the other team's hustling too, you you may get an offensive recovery in the end, the end zone. You still have to recover that, that fumble. Great play by Ryan Anderson. Spectacular play by Ryan Anderson. Play number four, and there were four big defensive plays, right? The Norman interception, the, the Ionitis sack that forced a field goal, and Ryan Anderson's forced, forced fumble. Here's the fourth one. Preston Smith's sack. This is still a game at 16-3. I don't know how many of you thought at 16-3 it was over. It wasn't over. If they score there, they got a first and goal there. If they score there, it's 16-10. And how many of you seriously want the pressure back on this offense to move the football? Because they were staring 17-16 still right in the face. It was possible that that was going to happen. Smith makes the sack. Kerrigan recovers the fumble. The defense had four impactful plays as the Bucks were trying to score points. So, yes, there was a ton of self-destruction on Tampa's part, but the Redskins made some plays defensively too. I did not think that the defense overall had a great game. It didn't tackle well at times. It didn't cover well at times. It didn't get enough pressure at times. And it didn't stop the run consistently in this particular game. 
I do think, again, there was some bend-don't-break strategy on Minuski's part, but it came down to four big plays that the defense made with Tampa in scoring position that really, really ended up telling the tale. The Norman pick, the Ionitis first down sack, was a big one. The Anderson force fumble, which was a great play, and the Smith sack force fumble. Kerrigan recovers the fumble. Kerrigan involved in helping to force that fumble as well. Four plays in the red zone that very much impacted this game. Third thing on my good list, the offensive line coaching staff. The offensive line was thought to be a disaster in the making for this game with the injuries. Give credit to Bill Callahan and his staff because given the new players out there and the short time to prepare, they didn't embarrass themselves at all. There were a few penalties, a few runs got blown up, but for the most part, given the context, a good day for the offensive line. Look, it helped that they were playing a bad defensive team, but still a good day. And to be honest with you, other than a couple of pressures, I thought they their pass protection was pretty good. The fourth thing on my good list, and let me finish before you start screaming at me. Alex Smith made some plays in this game. I said on Friday he's got to step up and make a couple of plays in this game to give the Redskins a chance with the offensive line issues facing this very good offensive football team. Look, he wasn't nobody's going to say with a straight face that Alex Smith is a good is a good quarterback right now. I get that. All right, he's not a good quarterback right now. However, however, in this particular game, a 6-3 game, early fourth quarter, after a very underrated play in this game, the roughing the passer call on that deep shot that he threw that had no chance, the one to Quick, not the one to Davis that he missed later. That roughing the passer sparked that drive up 6-3. to three. From that point, he made a throw on third and nine to Mo Harris for a first down. He hit Jordan Reed on a quick slant that got the skins to the Tampa 11-yard line. Then, really needing a touchdown to make it a two-score game. On second and 14, he scrambled nine yards. That was a big play. Loved to see it. It was decisive. It set up a makeable third and five at the Bucks' six-yard line. In a season where we have begged for more creative, more create on big third-down plays with your legs, he avoided the pressure, created more time, and found Josh Doxson for the touchdown. A field goal there wouldn't have been a terrible thing in this game, but the touchdown was all Alex Smith on that final third and five. I actually thought on that drive, and maybe it was the first pass that he completed to Mo Harris on the third nine, but it, it looked like he got confident there for a brief moment. Because watching him this year, there are just so many times watching him, you're like, He's not confident. Like, he's feeling it, man. Like, there's just not a lot of rhythm. There's not a lot of confidence. And I thought in the second half, but on that drive in particular, he got into some rhythm. You know, he made some plays. The second and 14 scramble, you know, uh, second and 14 most of this year, in that situation, it's going to be a field goal. Not yesterday. The scramble, the third and five touchdown pass, Big play. Good catch by Doxon, too. 13-3. Game wasn't over, but that was the first time all day it seemed like 
they had a really good chance to steal one there. Overall, I had Alex Smith as sort of a C plus B minus. All right. He obviously missed the deep shot to Vernon Davis, which was an easy touchdown throw off play action. He threw inaccurately much of the day um, on several completions. He was inaccurate. He didn't read the blitz. He hasn't really read the blitz very well all year long. You know, after the Stroman interception and they had a chance to really put it away, you know, he had, he had the third down before the field goal that made it 16-3. to I don't think he even read it. He got out quickly. and It may have been zero blitz on that play. But, man, I, Jay's, Jay's got good stuff, good design versus the blitz. they got to start to make that happen a little bit. they got to execute better. They had to kick a field goal there, you know, to give him a 16-3 lead. Bottom line, he led three scoring drives against a bad defensive team. But the plays he made on that touchdown drive were big plays. I thought he took a sack smartly with about 6-18 left in the game. Go go check that out. About 6-18 left. It's still 16-3. Third and 11 midfield. You're up 13. He takes the sack instead of taking a chance. And the sack also allows the clock to run. I thought it was a good decision. I think he did it intentionally. I think he could have fit a throw in there short of the sticks, but if it's incomplete, the clock stops. If it gets picked, it's a disaster. He took the sack there. I love the speed option to Bibbs on a third and seven. I like the read option keeper after the Stroman interception that he ran for six or seven yards. He made a couple of good throws on that final drive of the first half. That led to a 6-3 lead. Still not great. But as we've said in other wins, and Jay Gruden said it too after the game, he's not making plays that hurt him. Last thing on my good list, special teams. I mean, Dustin Hopkins, 3-for-3. And once again, Tressway was outstanding. Is Tressway the best player on the team? No, he's not the best player on the team. It's (laughs) funny that you said that because I was looking... um, I was looking at the punting stats this year, and I was expecting his net average to be better. I was expecting the Redskins to be closer to the top in punt overall punt coverage numbers, and they're very good. They're not in the I think they're like in the top ten, barely in the top ten in a couple of those categories, top twelve, thirteen in the others. It's just you may have said this on Friday, Aaron. I think you said this. There just aren't a lot of returns right. in, in football anymore, even punt returns. You know, these kickers are so good. They get they get incredible hang time. They, they directionally kick so well. He's been great this year, though. He had four inside the 20 yesterday and three inside the 15. That one that uh, was down on, what, the two? The two-yard line. Yeah. All right, let me get to the bad list. Uh, the offense just wasn't very good again. I mean, they faced a truly wretched defensive football team. A defensive football team that's allowed 414 yards per game and the most points allowed of any team in the league this year. And the Skins managed 286 yards and 16 points, three of them set up by an interception, the Stroman interception. On many days against many teams, it wouldn't have been nearly enough. In fact, I think yesterday against more than many teams like most teams it wouldn't have been enough but it was and it, it's a win 
And maybe if they if Tampa had scored more when they were in position to score, maybe it would have put more pressure on the offense, and maybe they would have delivered. But we really haven't seen it much this year. The offense wasn't very good yesterday. It just wasn't. Also on the bad list, the third down defense wasn't good in this game. Uh, the defense really wasn't great except for those four decisive plays that I that I mentioned. Uh, again, I'm going to give Minuski a little bit of the benefit of the doubt that there was some strategy involved yesterday against a Tampa team with deep threats against a lot of young players in the secondary that they played sort of bend, don't break, break. They played a lot of soft coverage. But still, they allowed 6 of 10 on third down. Uh, and, you know, with Jackson, Stroman, Moreau out there, I mean, there was a lot of room given on some of those easy pitching catches to Evans, to Jackson, and a couple of the others. Uh, the next thing on the list also has to do with the defense. There was some bad tackling early on. Swearinger had Peyton Barber early in the uh, you know really early in the game in the backfield for a big loss. Couldn't get him down. He spun out, got three yards. Uh, Jonathan Allen had Barber down, and all of a sudden Barber broke free and picked up 12 yards on the sideline. The Bucks were not a team coming into this game that had run the ball very well, and yet Barber went 61 yards on 13 carries, 4.7 yards per carry, much of it on his own. Danny Johnson, I'm going to tell you this, everybody I've talked to out there uh, in Ashburn says this kid is going to be a player. They love Danny Johnson, but boy, did he get picked on today, yesterday. We're sort of recording this right around sort of today and yesterday. That's why I'm going back and forth. I'll try to be more consistent with that, but we're, we're heading towards that next day time frame. We've been doing this over the last several weeks because I want to get this podcast out really, really early, if not, you know, late the night before after games because I think I think it makes more sense to do that. Uh, Danny Johnson got picked on. Number 41 was the target uh, for Tampa. Also on the bad list, the burning of the timeouts. The Redskins called five timeouts in this game, all of them on offense. And only one of the five where it was a, where it was a result of trying to save time. All right, the one that one was towards the end of the first half. They used a timeout. The other four were because I don't know the play clock was running down, the alignment wasn't right, the play wasn't called correctly. Who knows? But in the second half, the Skins called two timeouts in the third quarter, and their last one with nine forty-one left in the game. That's not good. Because imagine if the Bucks did actually get one of those scores into the end zone late to make it 16-10, got it back, scored again with 40 seconds to go, and they had no timeouts left. Jay did say one of those was due to just a communication error. He was communicating on the wrong channel or something I like that. I did hear so him say that. substitution yeah. didn't go in. Not good, though. No. Uh, there was one odd timeout that actually they didn't need to use because there was a review on the play. If you recall at the end of the first half, when the Redskins were moving down the field to get into field goal range, there was a throw to Michael Floyd. It was called a catch. And there was a minute 27 left, and the Redskins quickly you know, called timeout. There's no need to panic there to call a timeout with a minute 27 to go. 
This is where sometimes Jay just isn't comfortable in those spots, doesn't really know what to do. So when in doubt, let's just call it. Now, they ended up getting that timeout back because the the play was reviewed and the call was overturned because he didn't make the catch. Just a weird spot there. He, he didn't need to call that timeout there. Uh, also, more from the end of the first half. I didn't love it when they got it to first and 10 at the Bucks 31-yard line with 54 seconds to go. Clock stopped. It was a quick out to Floyd. Stopped the clock first and 10, 31-yard line, 54 seconds left. They still got a timeout left. And then they threw three short passes and kicked a field goal. Uh, look, I Jay Gruden isn't going to ask his quarterback to do much in that spot right now. I understand that. He doesn't want to take the risk. He doesn't want to take a sack there get knocked out of out of field goal range um, but they had moved it down the field against soft coverage and I thought there was a chance to get a little bit aggressive there I, it would have been nice you got to have a team in that spot with 54 seconds left and you're at the other team's 31 yard line you got to think at least on the next play or two we're still trying to get a touchdown don't you uh, that They weren't thinking touchdown in that spot. They were thinking field goal the whole way. All right, here's more, um, more. More observations, I guess I would call this. A couple of players that I thought stood out at times that you're not going to hear anybody just go nuts over, but I just made notes of during the game that I thought that they played well. I thought Sprinkle played well when he was in there. I thought he blocked exceptionally well. I thought Zach Brown had a good game. And Did, did you see the tweet? From Zach Brown on I did. Friday yes. night or Saturday? Yeah. For those that missed it, basically, and I'll paraphrase, he uh, was complaining about the coaches blaming him for the loss to Atlanta. Then he quickly deleted that tweet, but it was up all over the place. I mean, that's always nice to have come out the day before a game. Uh, I thought he was very active in the run game in particular and had some big hits. Mason Foster was all over the place in this game. So was Swearinger, per usual. Doxon had a solid game. That's a big touchdown catch. That's in traffic. And I thought Bibbs had a good game, too. Look, Capri Bibbs isn't Chris Thompson, but he's very good. You know, like Thompson on screens and draws, he's very, very quick and has good vision. He had that 40-yard screen called back because of the hold. A couple of other things. The field position in this game. Uh, this is something that has been pretty consistent in the Redskins' six wins is that they've been really good in the field position battle. Their average starting field position was their own 30. The Bucks' average starting field position was their own 20. Uh, a lot of hidden yardage plays out there. One in particular was the Bucks had a chance to really pin the skins deep inside their own five with a punt, and the guy misplayed it down there and it went into the end zone. Those are big plays in the game. They're, they're hidden, underrated plays, but for this particular team offensively, I don't want to see them lining up at their own two-yard line too much. How about plus 11 right now? That's their turnover margin through nine games. 18 takeaways, just seven giveaways, probably good for third best in the league now behind Chicago and Cleveland. Plus 11 the Redskins haven't seen in years. There were two horrible calls on the Redskins in this game yesterday. There was a holding call on Morgan Moses that was complete phantom. He slapped at a guy as the guy went by, and they called him for a hold. It was a terrible call. And then there was a sack by number 58. His name, if you don't know it, is Casanova McKenzie. 
He's a Redskin. He wears number 58. They brought him up, and he had a sack. And on the play, uh, Josh Norman was called for holding. It was a terrible call. They had the camera on him off off the ball, and there was barely any real contact at all. That was on the drive that eventually got the sack, fumble, Preston Smith, et cetera, with Kerrigan recovering the fumble. A couple of other things um, that I wanted to mention. I thought Gruden, for the most part, coached. Look, their their offensive line staff did a hell of a job. Minuski with the bend don't break strategy. If that what it was, if that's what it was, is probably the right strategy yesterday. I'm sure he wasn't counting on those results, but still likely the right strategy. I liked something that Jay Gruden did on the Redskins' second drive of the game. It was third and 16 at the Bucks 32, and Gruden called a quick bubble screen. And he's done that with Alex Smith in sort of scoring range, field goal range, a lot this year on third and long. And a lot of teams do it. I'm not just saying that Jay Gruden, you know, it was great strategy and they, they, they're they the only team that does it. But Smith has shown an inability this year to pick up the blitz, and he's taken some sacks on that. You needed three on that drive. The bubble, the Floyd, or it may have been Mo Harris, actually. I think it was Mo Harris. Uh, got seven yards, and they got a field goal there. How about the jet sweep to Mo Harris? I got an idea. Don't run the, the jet sweep to Mo Harris anymore. I mentioned last week that he's not a big yak guy, yards after catch guy. Did you see the jet sweep? He ran right into the tackler instead of making any sort of move. He's Look, he's having a really nice stretch here. I think he's their leading receiver now, I think in receptions. Um, and I like Mo Harris. He's reliable. He catches everything. He runs good routes. He's just not a yards after catch guy, which is why, what do you give him the ball in the jet sweep for? He, he made yards. I mean, it wasn't a negative play. Uh, how about the Bucks trying to challenge Adrian's Peterson with over two minutes to go and no timeouts, and they got flacked for it? What a dope. Um, I actually thought it was a fumble. I, they never went back and showed yeah. the replay. They were too busy laughing at Cutter to uh, do the replay. I wanted to make uh, a couple of comments about Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I like him. I can see why everybody that plays with him and coaches that coach him like uh, why they like him. He makes plays. He makes throws. He's smart. He's a baller. He's a baller. He's fun to watch. Yeah, those are the reasons he's been in the league forever. But the reason he's played for seven different teams is because he makes so many mistakes. Too many of them. He's got nine interceptions and four lost fumbles in seven starts this year. He has so much Brett Favre in him, but he's just not Brett Favre. But I like watching him play. And on this team, with the weapons he has, a ton of them, I don't think this team should be three and six. They're they're not a good defensive team. No. Two two things. Historically bad defense, really bad coaching. Yeah, historically that's true. All right, enough about Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers. Uh one more observation and then we'll get to JP Finley. The Redskins have a two game lead in the NFC East. The Eagles lost to Dallas. Now means they are four and five. The Cowboys are four and five. The Redskins are six and three. And they've got a two game lead in the NFC East. And what that guarantees 
is we've got meaningful football in December. No matter what happens over the next few, you're going to have meaningful football in December. I'll tell you what, the Cowboys defensively were impressive last night, and Zeke Elliott put on a show, and we'll get to that when we get uh, get to the Around the NFL segment. But the Redskins have a chance this coming Sunday to get to 7-3, and three, and if they do with a win over Houston, and they are a three-point underdog to the Texans on Sunday, if they were to win that game, They'd be 7-3 and three for the first time in 22 years. They have not been 7-3 and three or better after 10 games since 1996. Now, Houston's favored on the road against the Redskins for one reason more than any other. The Redskins can't score. All right, Vegas really discounts teams that can't score in this day and age. And Houston's coming in with a six-game win streak, and they've got a really good defense. Um, I was surprised, I'll be honest with you, when I saw the point spread early uh, last night uh, at at Houston minus three. I thought it would be a pick'em kind of a game. Um, so they're really telling you that they are concerned about the Redskins' ability to score, and they are marking that six and three as borderline fraudulent but that's okay because they're six and three and they got a two-game lead in their division they've got a lot of big games left two of them with Philadelphia another game with the Cowboys now who all of a sudden looking dead uh, on Monday night after they lost to Tennessee at home they get their best player going in Zeke Elliott uh, they get uh, a great defensive performance, and they win at Philadelphia. And let's face it, the Eagles are not the same team that they were a year ago. All right, I'm going to get to J.P. Finley, who's going to join us here momentarily. But if you hear that noise, it's your furnace kicking on again and again, over and over again. You know why? Because you're letting cold air in and hot air out, keeping you up at night and you're wasting money. That means higher energy bills are coming. I think it's time for you to pick up the phone and call Window Nation. I have multiple times over the last decade. Harley and Aaron from Window Nation have provided windows for me and lots of our listeners over the years. Right now, for a limited time, you'll get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. Buy six, get six free. There is no limit. Plus, five full years of 0% financing. Save that well-earned money, splurge on your family, friends, and even yourself this holiday season. Act fast as there's still time to have your windows installed by the holidays. You'll stay toasty as Window Nation's expert installers work room by room to install your new windows. Window Nation has saved customers an estimated $40 million in energy over the years. Save today, save tomorrow, save forever. Call Window Nation today at 866-90-NATION. You get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. There is no limit, plus 0% interest for five years. Save thousands on your windows and your energy bills. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell them I told you to call. All right, let's bring in J.P. Finley uh, for his day after game visit. J.P., of course, with NBC Sports Washington, and he does a great podcast of his own, which you can find at NBC Sports Washington, uh, their website, and all over uh, all of the podcast platforms. All right, 
Uh, this was let's just let's call it interesting, uh, to say the ugly. least. Because we call it ugly. Yeah. Uh, you know we could, but they they did make plays. You know they they won too. They they the won point. the game. They won the game. But you know you know this. I'm sure by now, and you probably knew it sitting in 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 the press uh, box during the game. It's the first time in NFL history any team's gone for 450 plus yards in a game and scored three points or less. And, you know, I, I, I said this to, to start sort of my recap of the game. It wasn't like, you know, they were piling up this yardage between the, you know, the 20s and, 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 and punting occasionally after six or seven plays. They were inside Redskins territory, territory on eight of the nine drives and on six of them inside their 30 and only scored three points. It was an amazing Kevin, I- feat. I haven't looked. I haven't dig, I haven't like really dug into the uh, the box score and stuff yet, just because I've been running around. But I think every one of their turnovers came in Redskins territory. Am I right with that? Well, the the, the Stroman pick was was the one. Right. Yeah, was the only but short that was field. At like the forty. I mean, it, it wasn't like they were. The Redskins were never in, in advantageous field position because of the. The turnovers, you know what I mean? Like they, they never. Had oh no, no, you're 100 percent right. All, all the turnovers did was just keep points off the board for Tampa. But then again, maybe the field goal kicker would have missed three more field goals. I mean, he was terrible. It was really, uh, look, I mean, uh, the Redskins. The, the two best Redskins players in this game were Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chandler Catanzaro, whatever his name is. That, that, that was the first thing I said. I, I'm like the the number one reason they they won this game. You know, make no mistake about it. Is the Bucks served it up on a platter for him? Um, what you were there, you were in the locker room afterwards. They're six and three. I thought JP, this was a really important game for them going in, even with the injuries. I I, I sort of felt like it could tilt the season in sort of a negative way had they not gone down there and won. What did they think, Kevin? I totally agree with you and. I think they totally agree with you. I mean, just the the vibe, the vibe after that game, talking with players, and I got to talk to Josh Norman for a while. I got to talk to Ryan Anderson for a while. I got to talk to a bunch of the players, kind of as they were going to the team bus. It was. It wasn't a. There are times when a team is fired up because they beat somebody's butt, and this wasn't that. They realized. They won a game that they shouldn't have. Or maybe not even shouldn't have, but they won a game over a bad team that couldn't get it done. You know, I, all, the final one player told me the final score of this game should have been thirty-one to three. And I think when you look at the offensive struggles, that's right. I mean, they left a number of plays on the field, but then when you look at the defense, and they gave up five hundred yards but had four turnovers, maybe. Maybe it should have been the final score should have been thirty-one to twenty or something. Yeah, it's it's hard to know. What did they think, JP, about the new players along the offensive line? Cooper. I mean, we know Bergstrom, we know Ty and Secchi, of course, but overall, what was the impression that they had of the job that the offensive line did? They were they were cool with it. They were happy with it. I, I think I, I think there were some bad and you, you, you hate to sound like this, but I think there were some bad calls from the refs. I think there were some really bad holding calls. Yep. And 
And for Jonathan Cooper was the only true new guy, but for Cooper to come out, play his first game with the Redskins since he signed on Tuesday, and I know he had a couple, I think he had two holds, is that right? Yeah, I think that's right. Honestly, I I think the O-line was pretty impressive, all things considered, because the the thing that's underreported is that Morgan Moses, I talked to him after the game, he was really hurt, and and, and I know it's kind of easy to say that and not talk about it, but I, legitimately, Kevin, he couldn't walk down the stairs to the practice field on Wednesday of last week. He he had to – you know how, like, when you can't bend your leg, you have to swing it wide to take yeah. a step down? That's what he had to do. And we're talking about four days ago. And today he came out and, and – played tackle in the NFL. That's a pretty hard thing to do. I, I think Jay Gruden would tell you on camera or off camera, he was really, really happy with what the O-line did. Let's flip it to the other side of the ball. I I suggested, and I don't know this, but I suggested that maybe their defensive strategy, Greg Minuski's defensive strategy, was sort of intentional bend, don't break. That Absolutely. With, that with young defensive backs and the speed on the other side, they were going to let them take the soft coverage, you know, small chunks, medium chunks. There were some sizable chunks in there. There were 25, 20, you know, 28, 29-yard plays. Got burnt deep. But it they, never was a 50-yard touchdown, though, and that's what they couldn't afford. Did they say that afterwards, that they, they were okay with them moving it, that they ultimately felt they could hold them to field goals, or they would – you know, sort of count on mistakes. So, so two things. Tampa's a unique situation in that the, the visitor's locker room is pretty small, so Redskins PR doesn't really let us eat. Normally in a home or road game, the media goes into the locker room. We get to grab whoever we want, ask whatever questions we want. Tampa's a, a smaller locker room. Redskins PR doesn't let us in. We have to ask for players to come out, and then it's a big scrum with each player that comes out. And, and and I don't mean that as a shot at anyone. It's just kind of the logistics. That happens at a handful of NFL stadiums. So when one player comes out, it's, nobody gets to have a real one-on-one conversation. There's like 6, 10, 12 media members talking to one player. So we didn't get our normal kind of conversations around the room, if that makes sense. And that's the kind of stuff that probably would have come up if we got to really sit down with Danny Johnson, Greg Stroman, those guys. But – Watching the game and then the little bit of information I gleaned kind of afterwards and talking with other people, I absolutely think the plan was don't let anybody get deep. It reminded me of what they did with Odell Beckham in the Giants game. He ended up with, what did he end up with, 115 yards, 112 yards, something yeah. like that. But it was a quiet 112 yards, if, if that makes sense. He never had a big play, never made, never made that one big impact. And for the skins going against – Deshaun and Mike Evans, these guys that can really change a game right away. I think the Skins knew what they were doing and kind of executed it well. You know, I think they never let anybody get deep. There was never a big play. Certainly Ryan Fitzpatrick being wildly erratic helped that. But uh, I haven't said this in a few games. I think defensively they had a game plan and they executed it and it worked. 
Yeah, I, I think it did work, and, and they were – look, no way is Minuski going to say, hey, that was the game plan, and we we were happy giving up 500 yards because we thought they'd only score three points with the 500 yards, right? Because that's oh, completely – like, it's completely impossible. Yeah, third and eight, and the corner's playing 10 yards shallow, you've got to imagine there's a reason to that. Yeah. They, it, it, you know, like they're not – they spend more time than anybody realizes – trying to figure out ways to win games and I think it was shown today I I, I think it did too um I, I, I I'm fine look it they if Tampa had taken three knees on every single time they got into the sort of scoring area and had a field goal kicker they would have been right there with a chance to win but still um that speaks to the other side of the ball and we'll go back to that one. Look, Tampa's defense is horrific. It's been horrific all year long, and the Redskins managed 13 points offense. That last field goal was set up by the Stroman interception. I thought Alex made a great play, back-to-back good plays on that touchdown, the scramble, uh, and then the touchdown throw to Doxon. But overall, your impression of the offense today was what? Um, We came up with this on our podcast, and I'm curious what you think. This is what the Redskins offense is now is before the designated hitter hit baseball. They try to get a runner on first, steal second, bun them the third, sack fly to bring them home. They are, they are manufacturing offense. And, uh, you know, it ain't pretty, but that's what they're doing. I mean, Adrian Peterson grinding out what he almost have 70 yards and they got enough out of, they got enough out of Reed, enough out of Harris. Doxon made a, Doxon and Alex made a great play on that touchdown, and that's impressive. It is not enough to beat the Rams, the Saints, the Chargers, any of the the true, let's say, six, seven, eight best teams in the NFL. It's not enough to come close to competing with them. But of of the next category, maybe 9 to 15, the skins are right there. Look, it's enough to have a two-game lead in the NFC East right now with the opportunity. Two games clear, dude. Yeah, the, wild. with the opportunity to potentially host a playoff game in January, <laughs> and uh, and that would be interesting. Um, you know, you know who's coming to town. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. There's only one way that goes. <laughs> Can you imagine Minnesota at FedEx in a playoff game in January? That would be. Can I tell you? That'd what be I've a been show. More than one player, and you're going to die laughing. I have <laughs> more than one player is only pick six, Kirk. If he comes to town, we're all right. Well, that you know what? If in in let's win a game, sixteen to six, that would be fine with me. And on to the next round. Um, It'd be all right. wild. It'd be wild. One one last thing. You're, I, I know you're with a, a bunch of the guys down there, and I'll let you run, but who are they going to get back next week? Maybe Crowder. Thompson's not close. Trump's not close. I, I'll say maybe Crowder. What about Dunbar? Is, is he close? Because they could use him. They could I, I, They could really use him, and I, I, Kevin, I don't know. His situation is so unique, and – he is reverted from two weeks ago. He was out last week. He played, had to come back out. Um, I watched him this morning. Just, I, I tried to pay close attention to that one and he never had cleats on. And, and that's your biggest tell when you're on the sideline is guys that are only wearing sneakers 
were never even going to try to play. Right. And, and maybe he had them on before I got to the stadium or something. I don't want to say he, he never had them on. I never saw him on with, with cleats, and, and that's a big tell. It, you know, when you're playing poker and you watch a guy, if you don't have cleats on, it, it, it doesn't say that you're looking to play in that game. I'll tell you what, I lied. I got one more, two, two quick ones for you. Zach, sure. Zach Brown's tweet uh, the, the night before the game uh, basically upset that the coaches were blaming him for the Atlanta loss. Is there any lingering after effect? I actually thought he played pretty well. I think he played very well. Knowing Zach a little bit, I don't think there's any lingering anything. I think the linebackers got lit up in film study and defensive meetings all week because – they were misaligned throughout the Falcons game. Some of that, you got to credit the Atlanta scheme. Some of that was their fault. Um, I think Zach had an emotional reaction and, and tweeted something. I, I truly don't think Zach realizes when he tweets the kind of reaction it gets. I think that's why he deleted it. Um, and frankly, either the tweet or whatever was said to him in the film room, I think he played really well. And, and maybe some coach, that was the desired effect, <laughs> you know, I, who knows? Um, all right, last one. Josh Norman, and I haven't played the sound yet. I am going to in a bit. Oh, the fan stuff? Yeah, he went off uh, afterwards on the Redskins fans and the crowd that comes out to FedEx Did Field. Did you tweet, though, following that? Well, I would hope that somebody would have gotten to him to say, let's follow up that with something more positive. I have not seen the follow-up tweet. So I, I don't know if anybody got to him. I know Josh fairly well. I think, man, honestly, Kev, he's kind of right. Like, Oh, I'm yeah, no, he's definitely right. He's definitely right in what he said, but I don't think it's it's a, it's a typically not the right tack to go after your own fan base. Of course, but I don't know that he – you know what, you're right. He did go after his own fan base. But I'm on the road for all these games, and the amount of Redskins fans at this Bucks game was crazy. It was it, – if there were – yeah. Let's say fifty thousand people here, twenty thousand of them were Redskins fans. It, it was wild, and they were and the people that travel are the most upbeat, big time fans, just cheering all the time. I do think there's something going on at FedEx. I think a lot of it is FedEx. Just fans hate that stadium and and everything that it has kind of been for twenty five years or however long it's open. It's been mediocre to bad for a long time, and I think fans just resent the traffic and the parking and everything going on at FedEx. And, and I think the players, it, it, you know what I mean? Like Deron Payne and Zach Brown had nothing to do with Jack Kent Cook building that stadium in Landover. Yeah, and, and they catch the brunt of that. And I think Norman is just saying how frustrated he is by all of it. And when you go to big-time road games, like the Skins have a game in Philly on Monday night in December, and it's going to be electric in there, and the Eagles' home crowd is going to be wild. And the Skins haven't had that in a while. And I, and I kind of think that's where Norman was trying to go with that statement, and it, it didn't get there. Uh, you know, Josh often takes a lot of right and left turns with whatever he's trying to say, but I think that's what he's trying to say. Look, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it uh, because it's late uh, and I appreciate it. We'll, t we'll catch up this week. I'm going to read uh, – we're going to play what Josh Norman said and I'm going to read that follow-up tweet because I'm reading it right now and it's a, it's a really positive tweet from him. Right, thanks. I, right. I think what he said makes sense and the follow-up tweet kind of yep. adds to it. 
Appreciate okay. it. Thanks, Kevin. All right, JP. JP Finley, um, listen to his podcast, available all of the ways you can get a podcast. Also at NBC Sports Washington, he does such a great job covering the team for NBC Sports Washington. Uh, let's tell you about uh, Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. If you're in the market for something new, you're considering something new, go to FarishCars.com right now. If not now, after you listen to the podcast, or put the podcast on hold right now. Um, you can hit pause on this podcast. Best part of a podcast is you can listen when you want, and you don't have to miss anything if you turn away. So go to FarishCars.com. It's the perfect website if you're looking for a new or used vehicle. Uh, you get to the homepage, three big bars, three obvious answers to what you're looking for, new inventory, used inventory, or schedule service. This is what they do well. Ralph Perkins and Kevin Farish, for a decade plus, they know their customers, they're smart. I promise you that if you give them a chance, they won't disappoint. Their sales team, very experienced. Most of their sales reps have been at Farish for 20-plus years. Their service department is great. If you've got a scheduled service, you're in and out of there. Right now, uh, they've got plenty of inventory. Uh, if you're looking for something in the Jeep category, they got plenty of Cherokees, Grand Cherokees, Wranglers. If you're thinking about a minivan, plenty of Chrysler Pacificas on the lot right now. The deals on that vehicle are as good as you'll get all year long. If you like this show and you're thinking about something new, I give you my word that you'll be taken care of if you head out to Farish and Fairfax. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. They're located right there in Fairfax Circle. And and they'll take good care of you. I promise that. Farish has live inventory, live pricing also right now at farishcars.com. All right, let's take some calls. We tried to do this recently, uh, and it didn't really work out very well, not because we weren't getting calls, but because we couldn't stop the beeping from the call waiting. But we got that fixed the other day, so we're now in position to take calls. Uh, any follow-up to the game, Chris? Um, and uh, the position the Redskins are in right now. Thanks for calling in. Go ahead. I have to say um, that uh, if um, the next two weeks do not go as well offensively, if they can't score 20 the next two weeks when they play uh, the Texans and they play uh, the Cowboys, I think during that mini bye week it's going to have to be time to switch to Colt McCoy. I mean, I know, I know Tommy oh – they're not Chris they're not switching to Colt McCoy I got a bunch of that at the end of the first half on Twitter and I'm like (laughs) this this is not gonna happen first of all even if they were a four and a three and six team at this point seriously even if they were three and six they would never do it at this point because they would never admit failure that quickly on this deal but they're six and three they're six and three, and he hasn't done. Jay said it right after the game. Jay said, Alex hasn't done anything, didn't do anything to hurt us today, didn't make any bad plays, and made a really good play on the touchdown throw to Doxon. Are you, are you saying that in all seriousness that you think they'd be better off going to Colt McCoy right now? Seriously. <laughs> you know what, Kevin? <laughs> I, actually, I actually think that. I, 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 I'm willing to take a risk and, and think that. Uh, Trust try to do something to get this offense moving. I know that I know injuries are piling up galore, but I, I think it, I think it's time that we have to do something to just ignite something in this offense. Other, other than that, I mean, it's going to be basically be neutral until the until the end of de- December. And 
Yeah, but it may be it may be just it be, enough. It might be enough. It, it may be, be enough, enough to you, win the right. division and host a playoff game. Look, we we everybody knows watching this team right now that there is zero chance that they go on the road and beat New Orleans with this offense, or beat oh, the no. Rams with this offense, or go on the road in a couple of other places. Probably they would struggle as well too. But right now they're on 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 a path to at least one home game. Uh, we may be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. I was thinking about that. I just talked to JP Finley and we were talking about that. <laughs> we were we were he's he's already counting on uh apparently the guys down there uh in Tampa and they're still there um last night. We're talking about the possibility of a Minnesota Redskins playoff game at FedEx. I think oh, we're put I think we're putting cart before a horse here, but they're in they're in good position right now. We're going to have games in December where they're going to have a chance to win a oh, division, yeah. you know? No, 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 especially especially with how Dallas um how how Dallas beat Philly. I mean, that was uh, I was not expecting that. And in fact, I think uh, I think the Redskins basically they have to beat if they just beat the Cowboys that just that might and, and the Giants that might be it to winning the division could be point. could be Chris thank you so much for the call really appreciate it all right Kevin uh, I'll I'll talk to you soon all right sounds good all right let's go to let's talk to Alex Alex are you there thanks for holding go ahead hey Kevin um, thanks for the call this time long time I am a little disappointed that the uh, tone after this win so negative. First off, we're now two games ahead of Dallas and Philadelphia. Thank you to Dallas. Uh, feels weird rooting for them, but thank you. And, you know, once we got up 13-3 to and then got the interception right after the goal 16-3, I never once felt like we were going to lose the game, even though after that point we allowed 200 yards, close to 200 yards more of offense. I mean, we play smart. We um, there, there are little things, specifically Alex Smith, when there's eight minutes left in the game, we're up 16-3 with the ball around midfield, and instead of throwing the ball away and taking a dumb incompletion, he moves from a scramble towards the line of scrimmage twice in a row to uh, give the Bucks the ball back with only 6-11. Do you know? Do you know what? Let me let me interrupt you for a second because that yeah, yeah. that was a that was an excellent observation one I made earlier when recapping the game. I I, I I in talking about Alex's performance, I was going through some of the things that weren't good and some of the things that were. And with six thirteen left, I think it was about six minutes and six minutes eighteen seconds left on that third and eleven at midfield, he took the sack, and I thought that was mm-hmm. the smart play because the clock ran he could have forced something and it would have been incomplete stopping the clock or even worse you know uh, a a potential bad play and I think that's a one of those things when people say well he won't let it loose well in that particular situation with a 13 point lead in the ball midfield that was a very sort of subtle smart play. So I I agree, it, I agree with you on that. But let me just go and, back and to it, you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. And if and if you look back, he did the same thing on that drive on second down, I'm pretty sure. 
but he, he, he may have done that on second down as well. But I, yeah, I would yeah. just say this to your to your first your first comment, which is people are being very negative. I don't know that everybody's being negative. I've certainly seen a lot of of negative reaction on Twitter that this is you know the worst six and three team that we've seen all year and several years. And look, when you can't score in today's you know game, and the Redskins really struggle to score. Uh, that you know totally the, against one of the worst defensive teams in the league today, a team that right. was giving up thirty and forty on 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 the regular, you know, especially mm-hmm. when they've turned the ball over. Now they turned the ball over deep in Redskins territory, a lot of it, but one of them was set up, you know, three points anyway, not seven on the Stroman yeah. interception. Yeah. But I, I think questionable holding penalty on that drive too, by the way. But. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, thanks for the call. Your, your phone was breaking up there. I'm going to let you go, but I really appreciate the call uh, very much. Can I add one more thing? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, that's bad. One that, more thing? Yep. There, there, this was the third time since 2010 that the Redskins held an opponent under 10 points. It was uh, <laughs> the first game in Dallas in 2010 and then 2012 against the Eagles. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I didn't realize that. I know it's been a I mean – they haven't shut anybody out in forever, uh, and three is just about as close as it gets. But I, I think, look, it's not unreasonable if you are a fan or not a fan to look at the Redskins and say, wow, six and three, really? They're like one of the only teams in the league that really, really, that, that have a winning record that can't score. They may be the only team in the league with a winning record that really, really struggles offensively. Um, I mean, even Tennessee's now gotten it going offensively here uh, in recent weeks. Uh, let's go to – we're going to go to Joe. Let's go to Joe. Hey, Joe, thanks for holding so much. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Um, I just want to say I'm glad that they won the game, of course. Um, glad that the defense is getting some takeaways, of course. But um, – not a real exciting win. Offense, of course, did what they always do. They stay consistent in being inconsistent, being bad. Defense is giving up chunks of yardage, so that's that's not good. Uh, they gave up tons of yards today. Of course, they held them to three points due to the turnovers. Um, but my main question is, um, is Clinton Dix really an upgrade at safety? Because I I don't see him doing anything. I always saw Nicholson in there and making plays, making hits, good solid hits, uh, and I, I don't see that from Clinton. Dick. Well, I, I mean, don't, I, don't see any- I would say this, Joe. I think after two games, it's a little bit too early to sort of have any, you know, real strong feelings either way on Clinton Dixon or Redskins uniform. He's still learning the defense. Nicholson got banged up again uh, today. I, I I think he may have been – Gruden didn't have any injuries listed uh, in his press conference at the end of the game, uh, even though Nicholson did leave for, for a little bit. I, I don't know how much he played after, after that, but I, I think it's early on Clinton Dix. I, you know, he broke up that one deep ball early that, that, uh, Fitzpatrick sort of underthrew uh, towards the end zone. Uh, he made a decent play on that, but I, I think we'll give it 
a few more games on him. I was a Nicholson fan. Clearly, they're not as big of a fan of Nicholson. I just remember Jay Gruden saying in training camp when he was asked about Monte Nicholson, he said, you know, Nicholson's the Jordan Reed of the defense, meaning that if he can stay healthy and stay on the field, he's got a lot of talent. And I see that every time I watch Nicholson. I think he's got a lot of talent as well. Joe, thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Let's talk to Sean. Sean, go ahead. Thanks so much for holding. Hey, what's going on, Kevin? How are hey, you? I just want to say, I'm doing all right. Good morning. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I'm remaining optimistic. I think our defense, it's its a case where it's either going to show up or it's not. But our offense, its 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 we have to play a little smaller ball here because of the offensive line, but we're going to be getting our help back. But I think in the meantime, with the way our offensive line is, I think we just have to rely on Capri Bibbs a little bit more. That's a uh, that's a real that's a really interesting point because I, I I mentioned Bibbs earlier in sort of the recap of the game and I think he's been very impressive. They liked him at the end of last year. Remember when we saw him for the first time? I don't think he is Chris Thompson. Somebody tweeted me earlier and said he's just as good as Chris Thompson. We're in good shape even if Thompson doesn't come back. And Thompson no. and Thompson may not be back for for a few more weeks. Um, but he's good. He's good in the screen yeah. game. He's good in in that draw game. Um, I I know they love Thompson's ability to sort of read defenses, pick up blitzes um, with with pass pro. Um, but I like Bibbs too. I I don't know why we won't see more of him. And it, but if you're talking about in lieu of of Peterson's carries, yeah, I'd like to see him a little bit more. I'm with you on that. Yeah, I think it can spread it out, and uh, yeah, it just might be able to buy Thompson like maybe one or two more weeks if we can figure out how to get him going. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Ken. All right. Uh, that was Sean. Thanks to Sean. For those of you that didn't get through, we're going to keep trying to do this. Uh, we're getting better at it. Um, we're making progress. When it's not live and you don't have the best sort of call waiting equipment, it can be a little bit more difficult. But I want to work some of these calls into these shows. Not every show, but um, we'll work more of them in in the future. All right, uh, let's get to uh, the rest of the league. Let's go around the NFL. The biggest plays and the clutch moments. It's time to go around the NFL. All right, well, first of all, um, nice bounce back on my NFL disaster of a week ago. 3-0 and on the NFL picks uh, for the smell test. Had the Browns, which I was concerned about, but I stuck with the criteria for the smell test and didn't get spooked by last week's 0-5, one of the worst sports book beatings uh, in a long, long time. 3-0 and in the NFL yesterday with the Browns, the Titans, and then last night with the Cowboys plus the number. And that's what that's where we'll start. Look, this was a painful game to watch in the first half, with one exception, and that is I've said this all year long. I think Dallas's defense is good. And you know, they didn't have Sean Lee last night. And when and typically when they have Sean Lee, it's not good for them. But man, is Van Der Esch starting to play. He had 13 tackles in the game last night for the Cowboys. He's becoming a really good player in his rookie season. Demarcus Lawrence is so good. Jalen Smith, man, talent. They're a good defensive football team, the Cowboys are. And 
they may look back at that Monday night game against Tennessee and they had huge chances, remember, early in that game and didn't take advantage of them. Uh, but Tennessee went and, and spanked New England yesterday on six days rest. So the, the Titans are turning into a good team. Cowboys win it 27-20. to It was an ugly defensive first half, and then all of a sudden both teams got hot in the second half. And the star of last night's game was Zeke, was Zeke Elliott. 19 carries, 151 yards, 7.9 yards per carry, and close to 6 yards per carry after contact in that game last night. A touchdown rushing it, and then, oh, six catches, 36 yards, and a touchdown as well. I'm so bummed he didn't get in the end zone on that one play, or we would have been seeing that that hurdle for the next decade. If you didn't see the play, he hurdles a defensive back running down the middle of the field and then couldn't get his balance when he landed or he would have scored, and it would have, as Aaron just said, been one of the all-time NFL Films highlights. Amari Cooper in his second game, six catches, 75 yards on 10 targets. And then on the flip side, when the Eagles finally got it going in the second half offensively, Zach Ertz was a monster. 14 catches, 145 yards on 16 targets in the game. Wentz went for 360. Dak Prescott got it going in the second half, threw for 270. And the Cowboys and the Eagles are both 4-5 and five now with the following games coming up next weekend. The Cowboys are in Atlanta to face the Falcons. And the Eagles, they are in New Orleans to face the juggernaut Saints. Both of these teams, both of these teams are staring four and six as a possibility. So the Redskins could potentially, if they could beat Houston at home, have a three-game lead a week from today. Dallas is interesting. You know, like they're going to get the Redskins on Thanksgiving Day. So even if they were to lose at Atlanta, they got a chance to sort of make up, you know, in one game at home on Thanksgiving Day, some ground. Uh, You know, we counted them out after the Monday night loss. They're still good defensively, and they still have Zeke Elliott. Uh, I, I, you know, Dallas, the thing about the, the Eagles, the Eagles still have the Rams. They still have the Saints, as I mentioned. They still have the Redskins twice, and they still play the Texans. Like right now with the way the Eagles are playing, they're looking at eight losses. Really? I mean, the Saints are almost, at this point, the way the Eagles are playing, they're not going to New Orleans and winning on Sunday. So that's six losses. And then after that, having the Rams on the road, the Texans at home, the Redskins twice, they still have to go to Dallas. You could make a case right now that you could give the Eagles the sweep of the Redskins, and the Redskins still might be favored to finish better than them simply based on the schedule. And where I was going with this, that's true, is that because of what you just said, Dallas potentially is more of the threat because they have teams like the Buccaneers, the Giants, the, they play the Colts on the road, and the Colts are playing better. Now, the Cowboys still have the Saints left, too, and the Falcons. The Redskins have the easiest remaining schedule by miles in the division. 
All right, let's go to some of the other games uh, played yesterday. Um, I, I want to start with this one, the Patriots and Titans, because I had mentioned off that Monday night game that the Titans just very quietly, you know, and they typically don't put back-to-back games together or back-to-back-to-back games. And the truth of the matter is the Titans played a really good game in London when they lost to the Chargers going for two at the end by a point. They went to Dallas after that long, you know, bye week coming back from London, and they played really well against Dallas, especially in the second half. And they destroyed New England yesterday. Now, there was no Gronk in the game, none. But that's another team whose defense is really good. You know, Wesley Woodyard's good. Uh, uh, You've got Arakpo is playing pretty well. Uh, You've got Butler on that team who was looking for, for revenge in the game yesterday. They've got, I've told you about Landry, who I really like as a rookie. He's not even starting, but he's playing. Um, Adoree Jackson starting to play well for them, you know, as a corner and a kick returner. And then offensively, Corey Davis, the first-round pick from Western Michigan from a year ago, slowly turning into a big-time receiver. Seven catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown yesterday. And the addition of Deion Lewis, and he was sort of in a – you know, looking to try to beat his former team situation like Malcolm Butler was. He is a great, you know, sort of ying to Derrick Henry's yang. It's a good combination, back combination that they've got going on. And if Mariota plays, you know, steady, Tennessee's interesting, and they don't have the, the, the most difficult of schedules. The Redskins have to go there in week 16, their 15th game of the season next to last game of the season. 34-10 over New England, Tennessee's win. How about the Saints? My God. Right now, the Saints are the favorite to win the Super Bowl. It looks like the NFC is going to have to go through New Orleans to get to the Super Bowl, and I don't know if anybody can go to New Orleans and win in January. They destroyed the Bengals yesterday, 51-14. to In that game, it was another show from Michael Thomas. Eight catches, 70 yards, two touchdowns. The the rushing attack for the Saints yesterday, 244 yards on the ground. Ingram went over 100. Kamara had 56, 57 yards. And Drew Brees only had to throw it 25 times. Well, he completed 22 of them for 265 yards. And the Saints now, on the season, have scored over 43 times and over 50 once. Their lowest scoring output of the season was against the Cleveland Browns in week two where they had to rally from behind to beat the Browns 21-18. to And they have now won eight games in a row and their loss in the opener to the Buccaneers where they, where they, they uh, gave up 48 to Tampa in that opener. Uh, let's go to uh, Los Angeles for the Rams and the Seahawks. The Rams held on 36-31. Russell Wilson almost pulled off another miracle. He didn't do it last week against the Chargers, almost did it. He got the ball into Rams territory. Uh, they were down 36-24. They scored, got the uh, three and out, and he had him down there. And on a fourth down, actually had a receiver open, couldn't find him on the run. And the Rams win 36-31. Now, the news on Cooper Cup, they may have lost him. It it seems like it's a serious injury to Cooper Cup. That will hurt. In that game, though, Brandon Cooks, 10 catches, 
100 yards in the game. Plus, he had a touchdown run on a, on a jet sweep uh, in the game. Gurley went over 100. Uh, right now, your MVP race, you know, some people want to put Gurley into it. It's Breeze and Mahomes. I mean, that's the race. Gurley's having a great year. He's not having the Breeze and Mahomes year. Uh, meantime, Seattle's 4-5, and five, but I think Seattle's a good team. You know, Seattle has lost. They lost a close game yesterday, lost a close game to the Chargers, lost a close game to the Rams uh, the last time they played them. Um, and uh, early in the season, lost a couple of close games as well. They're four and five. This division was over, you know, a few weeks ago, and now you know the Redskins and other teams that are that are in the playoff race, either as a division contender or a wild card contender, which the Redskins now are also at six and three. You want the division, of course, but you know you had Seattle lose yesterday, you had Carolina lose the other night. Um, some good results uh, in the NFC. How about the Browns? Uh, a week after the Falcons came here and blew out the Redskins 38-14, that Browns defense basically kept them in check, held them to 16 points, stopped their running game. Tevin Coleman last week over 100 yards, just 44 against Cleveland. Uh, the story for Cleveland was Baker Mayfield in his best game as a starting quarterback, 17 of 20, 216 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, no sacks, a passer rating of 151.3, a QBR of 97.1 for Baker Mayfield, and Nick Chubb, rookie running back from Virginia, 20 carries, 176 yards for Chubb, including a 92-yard touchdown run that broke it open in the third quarter. That was the longest run in Cleveland history. So with that one, the Falcons drop to 4-5. and five. After what we saw a week ago, they go to Cleveland and lose outright and really were never in this football game after about early to mid-third quarter. A uh, couple of other quick ones. Green Bay uh, is back to 500 at 4-4-1. They beat the, uh, the Dolphins 31 to 12. Aaron Jones had a big day. I like him as a back. Uh, he went well over 100 yards. I think it was 145 yards somewhere in that neighborhood on not a lot of carries. Um, so the Packers are back to four, four and one. And uh, Chargers beat the Raiders. wasn't pretty, but they're they're at seven and two. Uh, the Chiefs didn't cover against the Cardinals. They were laying that big number 16. Uh, Mahomes, two more touchdowns, just 249 yards on the day. Um, I still don't believe in that Kansas City defense. And look, Arizona, I mean, David Johnson had close to 100 yards. Jason Rosen had a an okay day, threw a couple of picks in the game. But David Johnson also had seven catches in the game. Uh, Tyree Kill, a big day for Kansas City. The Chiefs are 9-1. and one. And next Monday night in Mexico City, it's the Chiefs and the Rams. So you will get the Chiefs at nine and one against the nine and one LA Rams in Mexico City. The Rams are early one point favorites with the highest over under number since 1986. It's 64. I don't remember who had that total in 86. Uh, the ESPN.com put out the story that that was the highest over-under number, over under number total since 1986, but didn't mention the game. I would, I would guess that it probably involved the Dolphins, 
or the Bengals or potentially the Chargers maybe, um, some of the higher-scoring teams it, in 86. Here, here's the thing. It wasn't in 86. That's only how far they have the numbers to, and no one has it that high. Oh, I thought it. I thought I read since but, '86. But since '86 is when they started keeping no, the, track of. Well, Pro Football Reference has those numbers. Pro Football Reference has the the line and the over under number for the game, or maybe it, they just have the line. Yeah, I think they, they just may have not the have line. the over under yeah. for the game. But going back then, yeah, I don't remember a '64 in the NFL. Yeah, the, I the, don't. The highest closing over under is '60, an Oakland Kansas City game from 2004. Wow. Uh, the Bears beat the Lions. Are the Bears for real? Uh, maybe we got to start considering them for real. They, they have a huge game next Sunday night at home against the Vikings off their bye week for first place in the NFC North. Uh, the Colts have quietly gotten it together here. They beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 29-26. Uh, and now all of a sudden the Colts, and remember they came here in week two and then they didn't win for four games. They've won three in a row. Uh, the first two were against the Bills and the Raiders, so that doesn't really count, but they did beat Jacksonville yesterday 29-26 to get back to four and five on this season. So there goes your NFL Sunday. Uh, I think I hit every game Maybe didn't mention Bills beating the Jets 41-10, which was a bit of a surprise. The Bills, a team that couldn't score and can't score, rolled up 41-31 in the first half of that game uh, against the Jets. All right, let's get back to the Redskins because I want to play for you what Josh Norman said in the locker room after the game, a game in which the Redskins won, and you heard J.P. Finley early say there were a lot of Redskins fans uh, in Tampa. I knew there would be and mentioned that to Tommy last week. The Redskin fans have traveled very well even when they haven't been good. But this was Josh Norman talking about the crowd at FedEx Field. So what does this mean being able to get a road win, especially coming off a home loss? I mean it I feel like we play better on our world. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like Gosh, man, it just seems like the true fans, the big ones, they really be with us on the road, and we, we feed off of that. And when we go into the home stands, it just seems like, you know, it's like a open bubble, you know. I was like a other team's turf or something. You know, you hear more of them than you do us. And if something bad happens, they suck. You sit back in their seat and they boo. Like, I don't know. Um, it started to be this year when I started to see that. And it's kind of crazy because first couple of years um, I've been here, you, you would see sellouts and see people all, you know, happy and excited and all for the Redskins. And, but now you go around and see the whole NFC East teams, the Phillies, the, the Giants, and, you know, even Dallas. They sold out. And people in the seats, they cheering for their team. Regardless, good or bad or indifferent, they're still showing up each and every week, you know, going hard. And even the Giants, when they was one and six, hell, they had a sellout crowd. It was all in there, packed still. But, you know, we come back to our home, it seems like guys just you know, they don't really care. They just boo everything and not really behind us. We don't really feel that. And I'm tired of it, really. I mean, shit, we play all the games on the road, if you ask me. But at the end of the day, the people who are going to be for you, the fans is really on your back there, be there. Um, the other ones, man... It is what it is, you know. We can't really speak on them. They're going to talk about what they talk about anyway. Um, they all keyboard warriors anyway. So. They all keyboard warriors. All the other ones, 
that boo. Uh, okay. Um, let me just quickly get to what he tweeted out after saying that. Um, somebody probably got to him and said, Josh, you may be right. And let me just say, he is right, but there are reasons um, why this is the way the home field has become at FedEx Field. Uh, and he hasn't been around long enough to really understand those reasons. But here was his follow-up tweet, which came about an hour, I think, after he made these comments. He tweeted, 6-3, first NFC East, first time in a long time that in itself should be clapping uh, we worked on our craft to get here. Now it's you guys' turn. FedEx Field is a place where visitors should fear, not because of us, but because of how terrifyingly loud and menacing you guys, the fans, are. Come on. Hashtag HTTR. All right, so um, his comments uh, in the locker room. Uh, feeling like they are better off playing on the road. Uh, the people support them better on the road than they do at home. First of all, just so you know, Redskins do have good fans, and the fans that go to road games, they are the hardiest and the most devoted. All right, These are fans that are truly into it, and th- they're not to really be compared to all of the fans that show up at FedEx Field because it's a different mix of of fans at FedEx Field. Not everybody travels with the team. And you also have a lot of fans that live in the different cities to where the Redskins play that that's their one chance to see them. So they're very excited about it. And then you have those that that are really into it and they travel to see them. Look, what Josh Norman said, um, we all know it's true. I don't think he should have said it. I think it's bad form for players to criticize the fans, especially this particular fan base that has been that went very very long and beyond the point which was reasonable in supporting this team what Josh what Josh isn't familiar with is what what, what all of us are familiar with and that is just essentially 25 years plus of not only primarily losing but losing in an off-putting way, losing with dysfunction, losing with embarrassment, um, losing with an organization that you can't be proud of, um, and you know you've also you also put that side by side with a very you know subpar live experience at FedEx Field. That's not Dan Snyder's fault. That's not. The, the organization of today's fault. That's where Jack Kent Cook decided to build the stadium. And it was a terrible place, as we all know now, to build a stadium. It wasn't built well. It was thrown up very quickly. It's a terrible location to have a stadium. Um, there's no uh, sort of destination uh, reason other than the game for going there. Uh, it's traffic. It's the you know inconvenience of it, um, the cost of it. There, there's so much that goes into it. I, I have already told multiple people in the organization that this next stadium better be downtown. It better be a destination stadium where people can go and they can have lunch or brunch or 
a late lunch before a 4 o'clock game or dinner before a night game. And you can hang out when the game's over at bars and restaurants that surround the stadium. And it's very easy to get into and very easy to get out, out of. And it's 60000 with few premium seats. And you create sort of this sense of it's a cool place to go and there's a, a bit of a sense of exclusivity to it. So I don't know what they're going to do. I personally don't think it's going to be in Virginia. I think it's between D.C. and the Maryland location uh, out at the National Harbor by the MGM. I think that would be a mistake personally. I think it should go downtown for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think most of you agree with that. Uh, With that said, Josh Norman took it back sort of a little bit on Twitter, and he's trying to get the fans fired up. And look, if, if you keep winning... You know, I think this crowd, this coming Sunday on a holiday, sort of a holiday weekend, not exactly, but a lot of people back in town, you know, it's a short week the following week with Thanksgiving. They're 6-3. and three. Houston's not an unattractive team coming in with Deshaun Watson. Uh, you're not going to have a lot of visiting fans when with the Texans in town. This Sunday should be a better crowd. You win that game, and then you go to Dallas and win. Then you got a game uh, the following uh, – the, the, well, then they go to Philadelphia. But you only have two home games after that, the Giants and the Eagles. Look, the, the Eagle game could be for all the marbles. You'll have a sellout for that if you're, you know, if you're 9-6 and six or 10-5. and five. You will. Got to win, though. You got to win. You got to win with some – uh, with oh, you got to win, you got to win. Number one, number two, a, more humility um, from the organization, which I think you're starting to see. Too much off-putting behavior from too many facets of the organization over the years. Not just the team, not just management and ownership, uh, but you know, a, 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 other portions of the organization as well. Um, reasonable people have been turned off by not just the losing, but by more than the losing. And then I think ultimately, if you put that stadium downtown and you've got a team that's winning or is a threat to win a little bit, you'll have a much better home field advantage. Josh, I can only tell you this. When this team used to win and used to have uh, an S-load of class in the organization, it was the best home field advantage in the NFL. That's a long time ago now, and there's been a lot of losing uh, and a lot of embarrassment in between. Uh, I know what he's saying. He's not wrong. I sort of think he shouldn't say it, uh, but uh, the tweet that followed up with it is encouraging fans to come out and support a team that right now has a two-game lead in the NFC East. All right, let's finish up the show with a little weekend DVR. Did you have a busy weekend? Don't worry. We've got you covered. It's time for Weekend DVR. All right, let's start with some college football. I'm going to get to the Wizards here in a moment. The Caps lost uh, yesterday or last night. Was it an afternoon game or an evening game? I think it was an evening game. Um, All right, the college football on Saturday. I'll start with Maryland. What a disheartening loss because they actually were the better team on Saturday. And I say that, and they turned the ball over too much, Aaron. You watched it as well. Yeah. Um, I think that Matt Canada now knows that Terrell Pigram, Piggy, is the better quarterback for this team. He got to it through an injury to Kasim Hill, who was just dreadful. 
in that first portion of the game before he got hurt. I think Kasim Hill's got talent, and he's young, and he's going to have more opportunities, and, and I'm hopeful that he will develop into a good quarterback. But you can't be a good quarterback if you can't throw the forward pass to the people that are wearing your jersey because there were so many balls that were thrown that weren't even close, not even close. He's a good athlete, and I know he's a good quarterback, and I know that they're high on him. I think he's young, and this is his first year starting. It hasn't worked out. I think they got to go with Piggy in these final two games. Now, these final two games are going to be pretty difficult. It's Ohio State and Penn State, although they're only a 16-point underdog to Penn State. I thought it was going to be like 27, 28. I don't know. That, that's a short number. Um, they had a chance to beat Indiana. It was right there. Uh, and they lost 34-32, and it probably means they're not going to a bowl this year. Probably means they're not going to a bowl, and probably means Canada loses his chance to uh, take that job, I think. I'm not so sure about that. I uh, Let me just say this. In terms of the next Maryland head coach, I would put the odds better that it's going to be somebody other than Matt Canada. But I don't think it's an impossibility that they end up bringing Matt Canada back. I think money will have something to do with it. I think whether or not they are blown away by a candidate that wants to come here will have something to do with it. You know, they may be able to hire somebody other than Canada, but it may not be exactly who they want to hire. Uh, Matt Canada's done a good job of keeping the whole thing together. Um, they beat themselves Saturday at Indiana. Uh, Maryland's got some talent. Maryland's not the worst team in the Big Ten by a long shot, but they are clearly nowhere near the top of the league, and that's what they get are two of the better teams in the league, Ohio State Saturday uh, in College Park, and then they finish up at Penn State, which right now would appear to be a 5-7, and seven, not a 6-6 six and six bowl eligibility season. Some other things from the college football weekend. I wanted to start with this. Did you watch the Mississippi State-Alabama game? I did. Um, Mississippi State got uh, uh, the short end of two of the worst calls you will ever see. They lost the game 24 nothing. I had Mississippi State, and I gave out the Friday line, which was 23 and a half. I would love to have said, hey, I'll take Mississippi State plus the 24. I got a push. But the line was 24 like on Tuesday or Wednesday of last week. Anybody that's claiming that they took Mississippi State and they got plus 24 uh, as a guest on some show or in some pick contest is really reaching. The line went off closer to 23, 22 and a half. But I wanted to say that the two horrible calls were the opening drive for Alabama. There was a fumble, and it wasn't called a fumble on the field. It wasn't reviewed in the booth, and Joe Moorhead didn't challenge the play. It was a shame because Mississippi State would have had a turnover on the first possession of the game and some field position. Now, offensively, they wouldn't have probably turned it into anything anyway. But they were about to score at the end of the first half and did score on a touchdown pass that got called back because of a phantom block in the back. It, there was no contact on the play as the receiver caught the pass, went into the end zone, and, and another receiver in the end zone went towards the defender that was trying to make the tackle but never touched that defender but was nonetheless flagged for a block in the back. And that took a touchdown off the board for Mississippi State. Mississippi State plus 23 and a half was so right. Right as rain. 
and they didn't get it done because of some bad officiating and some bad offense too and some self-destruction on their own part. Here's the the other thing I wanted to say about Mississippi State. We've talked a lot of college football, you and I have, this year, Aaron, uh, because we both enjoy it, and I've talked a lot about it with Scott on the show. So it's really with you and Scott I spend most of the time talking college football with, although I want to get Trevor back on the show maybe this week, uh, or certainly before the Ohio State uh, weekend with Michigan and the Auburn-Alabama and all those games, which is Thanksgiving weekend. Um, Mississippi State's defense – I think is the best that I've seen. Alabama's defense is spectacular. LSU's defense is spectacular. Michigan's defense is terrific. Florida's defense is terrific. Mississippi State's defense is the best coach defense that I've seen, the most aggressive defense that I've seen, and the only reason that Mississippi State isn't with a better record right now, what are they, 6-3? and three? Is sounds about right. I think that's about right. Is because they have no offense. Yeah. They they just don't have enough offense. Nick Fitzgerald, their quarterback, is a running quarterback. He can't throw the football. Mississippi State right now is six and four. All right. Two and four in the SEC. They beat the snot out of Alabama in the second half. Yeah. They dominated Alabama's offense in the second half. At one point in the second half, I think it was early in the fourth quarter, Alabama had 24 total yards of offense in the second half. And they beat up Tua and knocked him out of the game. It made Tua look mortal for the first time. Made their whole offense look mortal. They gave up opening touchdown drives to Bama, and they fell behind 14-0, but one of them should have never happened because of the fumble that wasn't called a fumble. But I I think Mississippi State's defense, and there are some good ones in college football. Clemson's is really good, too. But they're the most – let me just say this. They may not be the best defense. They're the most exciting defense to watch. They have athletes. This guy Montez Sweat's going to be a beast in the NFL. Uh, That guy Willie Gay Jr. is going to be a beast in the NFL. They're well-coached. Tua got sacked four times in the game and got hit ten times in the game. Alabama averaged 3.2 yards per carry. When's the last time that happened? They only ha- they had less than 300 yards of offense in the game. Uh, I wanted to mention that game. I also wanted to mention that I had Oklahoma laying 20 and a half. And I said on Friday... I don't know why I'm doing this because they can't stop anybody, and this game's going to end up like six. If I win it, it's going to be like 63 to 42. They won the game 48 47. What's disturbing about Oklahoma is not only are they terrible in defense, they don't have any interest in playing defense. They, I watched a lot of that game, and they don't tackle, and they don't have people that seem to want to tackle. I think West Virginia is better than Oklahoma, and I think they're going to beat them next week weekend not this coming weekend um thanksgiving friday it's a friday night game i believe thanksgiving uh weekend um what else did i have from the college football uh weekend ohio state michigan state if you ever want to see the definition of special teams winning a game look at what ohio state's punter did to michigan state five punts inside the six yard line let me say that again for emphasis ohio state's punter pinned michigan state five times Inside their own six-yard line in the game. It was 7-6 to six for basically two and a half, 
quarters, almost three full quarters. But the field position, the bad field position, blew up in their face. They actually took an intentional safety on one of them, and then they fumbled in the end zone, and Ohio State scored. I, I just don't – I'm not impressed with Ohio State at all. Michigan, the uh, the look-ahead line, Michigan's minus three and a half in Columbus in that game. I just think Michigan's so much better than Ohio State, and I think it'll be proven out that weekend. Uh there was an Arkansas-LSU ending to the game that maybe I'll save for Scott later in the week because it was one of the craziest. You'll see he'll have it on Bad Beats um, on SportsCenter tomorrow night. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, I wanted to mention this. Davidson, did you see what they did? In, in an FCS game, they set uh, FCS and Division One FBS records um, for... Rushing yards in a game. Davidson rushed for 789 yards and lost oh. 56-52 to San Diego. Oh. 789 yards rushing from one team. They had four players rush for over 150 yards in the game. I mean, those had to be all like 80-yard runs, right? Because how do you get that many yards rushing and have that many possessions? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, they had, they had rushed for, um, cause I think we had this earlier in the season. Yeah. Earlier in the season, they rushed for 685 yards in that game that they beat Guilford 91 to 61. Remember we mentioned that one. Right. Uh, that was a football game, not a basketball game. Um, I think that was it from the college football weekend. Uh, Jimmy Butler got traded to Philadelphia. Why can't the Wizards do something there? Why weren't they involved in a Jimmy Butler conversation at least? Not just that. How did they not beat that package that Minnesota got? Because they got nobody. I'm not nobody. No, but they that, got more that was, than nobody. I, I didn't think that was a very good package. I thought a lot of teams could have put together a better package than that. I don't know how many teams could have put together a great package. I just wanted my team to put together a great package for Jimmy Butler. Uh, he that's that's a good trade for the 76ers man have they have has their roster that roster has just been incredible to sort of watch you know come and go and evolve over the last three four years uh the river uh, the wizards beat the heat on saturday night which was a good win for them but i wanted to talk about the friday night game that they lost to orlando first of all they were so bad early in that game, falling behind by 25 points, Aaron. There were two possessions where Austin Rivers on one occasion and Dwight Howard on the other didn't really like take the ball out of the net and throw it in legally. They just sort of chucked it in from inbounds. Like it was sort of like, you know, when you are playing pickup and it's like, hey, we'll bring it down to the other end and check it up. That's what they thought they were doing, I think, in the game. It was an embarrassment on Friday night in Orlando. Uh, they had they were down 25 to the Magic in that game. And then in the fourth quarter, here they come. And John Wall had a driving bucket to cut it to 106-105. Orlando called timeout. And you would have thought Wall, the way he was celebrating, that they had just won the game. Except they hadn't won the game. And they got outscored 11-3 to the rest of the way with just some poor defense, poor offensive possessions, poor everything. Uh, but they, did, they they beat Miami, so they're 3-9. and nine. The Wizards are 3-9. and nine. Uh, What else did I have from the weekend? 
Dez's injury happened after we left. I mean, two practices and he's gone for the year. You see what the Saints are bringing in? Uh, yeah, are they bringing in uh, Brandon Marshall? Uh, yeah, that, apparently it, it was down to Marshall and Dez Bryant before they signed Bryant. Um, Le'Veon Bell was the other big NFL news that he's apparently not going to report at all. Crazy, because they can use the transition tag on him next year. But that's not the worst thing in the world for him. I guess not. But he's missing some of those prime years. Oh, I know what I wanted to mention. One more thing uh, about the Maryland football game on Saturday, because I had this note. Anthony McFarlane is Maryland's running back. He rushed for over 200 yards. He's a freshman. He played at DeMatha. He's a pro running back. And if Maryland became a decent team over the next couple of years, and I don't know that 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 will happen, but McFarlane is one of those guys that people would have on a list of Heisman possibilities. Not next year, but maybe two years from now. He is a pro NFL back. Anthony McFarlane is a future first or second round NFL pick. Uh, That's it. I guess that's a big win for the Redskins. It really is a big win. I said it on Friday that this is a it's sort of a tipping point game. I, I wanted them to step up. I wanted the quarterback to step up like they had, uh, like they did a year ago in Seattle. Different circumstances, but you know what? There were some similarities. The field goal kicker missing two kicks. You know the 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 opponent self destructing. Uh, Alex Smith making. You know he didn't make a lot of plays, but he made a couple of them that really helped. Uh, and you can sit there and you can scoff at how bad they are offensively and how 6-3 and three isn't really reflective of who they are. But at the same time, their lead in the division right now is two games. And you can say, so what? Go ahead, win the division. They're not going anywhere. And that may be true as we sit here today. But you never know. You, you never know. They'll get Crowder back at some point. They'll get Trent Williams back at some point. They'll get Thompson back. They need Dunbar back. That's evident with the corner situation that they have. Um, And who knows? Maybe the Redskins are headed for their first 11-win season since 1991. They haven't been 7-3 since 96. Look, I'm not getting overly excited, and I'm not being naive, and I'm not going to exaggerate what it is. They're not winning the Super Bowl this year. They're not even getting to... That I don't. I think it'd be hard for them certainly to get to the NFC Championship game. Probably not even the second weekend of the postseason. Although you have a home game as a division winner, and a home game got a chance. And I know the home field just got knocked by one of its better players or one of its more outspoken players, not necessarily one of its better players. But uh, this is everything. God, everything's broken right for them, with the with the exception of the injuries. Plus 11 in the turnover battle. Schedule sort of broken a little bit in their favor here and there. The Every team they've, they've beaten has completely self-destructed. they got a schedule here in a division that isn't that good, and they've got a chance, I think, to win this division. They are certainly, at the very least, to say this one last time on the show, they are going to play games in December with meaning, significant meaning. It would be almost hard for that not to happen now. Houston's up next. They're three-point underdogs against the Texans. Uh, A big week ahead. Enjoy uh, your Monday, uh, and we'll be back tomorrow with Tommy in 
and you know get you ready big 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 week all week long lots lots of topics certainly uh, on the team and we'll try to take more calls too uh, we, we got a little bit bottlenecked uh, here tonight but we're, we're learning it and we're figuring it out try to take more calls this week as well uh, enjoy the the day um, and uh, take care see ya